are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On NBA. We're breaking down the finals game three. Suns get beat by the Bucks. Bucks get back on track, take the lead in the series. Dominating game. They win 120 to 100. Giannis is just dominating this finals. His second consecutive 40-point, 10-rebound game. Joining me to break it down and Giannis' historic performance, Kane Pittman, host of Locked on Bucks. Kane, what a game and finals Giannis is having. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, there's there's so much to talk about, I think, through this series so far. But regardless of the fact the Bucs are still trailing 2-1 in the series, it's hard to really ignore the, the performance that Giannis is having. I mean, you mentioned it right there, but it does feel like everyone sitting at home or wherever you're watching this NBA Finals is watching something pretty legendary unfold. Yeah, second time person ever, I believe, after Shaq I saw on Twitter to have consecutive 40.10 rebound finals games. He was absolutely ridiculous. The Bucs, who win by 20, outscore the Suns by 20 points with Giannis in the game. I mean, he's just, he was absolutely carrying them. He was certainly Batman uh, tonight in this one. Got a lot of help from other guys, though, who are really stepping up after struggling on the road. Chris Middleton has 18 points, hits three of his seven threes, and Drew Holiday, unbelievable third quarter from him. He hit four threes in that quarter alone. He finished with 21 points. What do you think unlocked Drew and allowed him to be so good and, and get the Bucs that big lead? Because the Suns cut it to six that quarter before Drew really hammered it home and got them up, I believe, a 16-0 run to end that quarter. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that run towards the end of the third was clearly the defining moment. I guess you could say the Bucs in the second quarter were pretty dominant as well. But this overall, to me, still felt like a game kind of similar to the first two two games in the series where it felt a little bit closer than the final score actually was. And I thought that was the pivotal stretch there. DeAndre Ayton went out of the game early in the third quarter. The Suns went small. And I thought the Bucs looked a little bit rattled, to be honest, against the zone, against the small lineup. It took them a few minutes to adjust there as the Suns started to make this one close. But you're right. I mean, I think against the zone, the Bucs were able to move the ball a little bit and get some open shots. And then we saw Holiday really come unglued. And then towards the back end of the third quarter, when the Bucs really went on that run, run, it was again Giannis who simply just decided, I'm too big, I'm too strong, just get me the ball and I'll figure something out. And then that's where the Bucs were able to break this one open, which I think has been a trend throughout the postseason, no doubt about it. Giannis, as a player, has always been physically dominant, but it does feel that there are stretches in games now where he has got that mentality where just give me the ball. I, I'm too good for these guys. I'm too big. I'll, I'll get the job done. The second quarter had a few pivotal moments in my notes as well where you know the, the Bucks were up about six and the honest came out and the Bucs were mm. actually able to extend the lead to 10 with him on the bench. And that was another thing that I, that I wanted to know from this game that was so big from the Bucs is even when Giannis was out only for 10 minutes in this game, they actually played the, the the Suns even in those minutes, which was huge for them. They had been really struggling in those minutes all series long. So that was huge that they grew the lead at that point in the game just before halftime. Then Giannis comes in for the final four-ish minutes of the half, and they just killer transition game from the Bucs for a few minutes, and they get the lead up to 15 at halftime. So they had, they had some excellent closings to quarters, which allowed them to just carry momentum through the game. Yeah, you got to give the Suns a lot of credit. I thought even early in this game, uh, Devin Booker struggled overall, but he hit a couple of tough shots in that first half. Chris Paul, again, was just hitting some ridiculous mid-range jump shots. So I think a big struggle for Milwaukee through this series has been, even when the defense has been pretty good, the Suns have just been able to hit those shots and quell any type of momentum, any type of fast break opportunities. And 
it felt like it was a lot more damaging than it was. But the fact that the Bucks were up 9-2 in fast break points in the first half, and a lot of those came late in the second quarter, as you already pointed to there, Tony, felt pretty significant to me because you do see that at times the Bucks' offense can get bogged down a little bit, but they are just so lethal. If they can get stops, get those rebounds, and get the transition game going, because along with Giannis, the, the bigs on this Bucks team really, really run the floor hard, whether it's Brooke Lopez, whether it's Bobby Portis, and they generally are able to generate some pretty good stuff and, and tend to feed off that transition game. So uh, I agree with you. I thought late in the second quarter was pretty pivotal because they were actually trailing 36 to 30 early in that second quarter, and it looked like they were in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, and another big thing that helped them in the first half is they did a fantastic job defending Devin Booker in this, mm. in this game, really. He didn't even play that much, only 29 minutes for him. Both teams kind of cleared their benches in the fourth, but he played less than uh, Chris Paul and Cam Johnson and Jake Crowder. So a lot of other Suns key players getting more minutes than him. What did you see from the Bucs that they adjusted to on Booker that kind of took him out of his game? And can they carry that into game four? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to simplify this too much, but I know when we were writing about the game over here with, with NBA Australia game two, that is, we actually did a full article just outlining and ranking the top five most difficult shots that Devin Booker had from game two. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I don't think that the Bucks necessarily did too much wrong defending Devin Booker and he was just so damn good in game two. So a, a part of it was... Booker coming back to earth a little bit. And overall, I think if you look at Devin Booker's shooting numbers over the course of the last six, seven playoff games, he's been struggling a little bit. I'm not sure how much of that ties back to when he when he had that nose injury, which is obviously pretty uncomfortable and pretty painful for him. But, I mean, he was just unbelievable in game two. So I think in general, the Bucs have done a decent job of getting a hand in his face and at least forcing him to make difficult shots. And I think ultimately when you're playing against a team like Phoenix, who let's be honest, just a damn good basketball team. Sometimes you have to be okay with the fact that, look, the defense looks okay. These guys are hitting tough shots. And I think up until the midway point of the second quarter in this, in this series, we hadn't seen Phoenix miss shots tonight. They did. I did think it was a little bit curious that he spent so much time on the bench, particularly with the fact there is two games off um, between each of these games really from here on out. But uh, look, maybe Monty Williams thought the game was over and get him some extra rest. So can the Bucks repeat this for game four and even up the series? I think everyone that, unless you're a Phoenix fan, I think everyone hopes they can because they want to see a, a long, a long Absolutely. NBA finals here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I do feel that all three games, both teams would probably feel like they were a chance to win it at stages. I think it's a really even series. I think the teams are very evenly matched, and I think overall tonight we saw a couple of things that continue in trend. DeAndre Ayton, incredibly important for Phoenix. He hadn't been in foul trouble all postseason. That was big for the Bucs because they can't really go small. It's not going to work out too well for Phoenix. And then alternatively, for um, the Milwaukee side of things, just keep getting the ball to Giannis. I mean, yes, he's going to need some help. He's going to need some Middleton. He's going to need some Drew Holiday. But I haven't seen anything through three games here. The one absolute constant has been that Giannis can get whatever he wants. And if you're a Bucs fan, you have to feel pretty good the, the longer this series extends. Until I see the Suns find an answer for Giannis, I have a hard time feeling like they're going to be able to win game four, but maybe they find a way to pull it out. And Kane will have this whole game broken down on the Lockdown Bucks podcast. Go check that out. Kane, thank you for the time. Anytime, man. Thank you. Let's take a quick break from all the finals talk so we can talk about the great folks over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. And for a limited time flavor, they have a new one called the Built Grasshopper Cookie. Limited time, only available this week. You can get the new Built Bar flavor. What does it taste like? It's Built Bar's version of the classic mint cookie 
all the flavor without all the sugar, 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, only five grams of sugar. Plus, they have a mixed packaging with a ton of other delicious flavors. So there's something for everybody. Everybody who's tried a Built Bar loves them, and you need to be the next one. All of them, 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 to 180 calories, only four to five grams of sugar, only four to five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. And the offer right now, if you go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. That code is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Go try Built Bar today. I'm now joined by Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns, breaking down the Suns' perspective from that finals game three 120 to 100 the suns fell in that game brendan what were your initial thoughts uh after the game ended i think the big storyline that i that i think people should probably be focused on here is the decision by monty williams in that third quarter to keep deandre Ayton on the bench with four fouls for as long as he did deandre Ayton finishes with just 24 minutes played despite an incredible first quarter i believe he had 14 in that first quarter and ended with 18 and nine a player like that should be in the game as often and as much as possible Giannis is is just firing on all cylinders. Aiton is your primary defender, and he's not out there. And the the Bucks were able to build a twenty point lead because of it. Yeah, I put that in my notes because at the end of the third quarter, there was a lot of Kaminsky in some weird Suns lineups. Uh, not ideal. Went to. Not ideal. No, and that's when the Bucks really got this going because I think it was as close as six uh, late in that third quarter after Cam Johnson went on a nice solo run. Uh, but they had to go away from Aiden and Kaminsky didn't have it. And it was, a, you know, four fouls is right on that line where I think, you know, in a close game like that, it's it's worth it to be aggressive. And it's easy for us to say that. But, you know, in a game like this where everything's going to be a hyper analyzed like that, that was one of the things I was on my mind, too, is what could they be doing if Aiden was really in there? But it felt like this game was closer than the score because it was a six point game late in the third quarter. So, uh, you know, if you're the Suns here, you walking away. Uh, optimistic about your chances in game four. You know, the Bucks shot really well. Obviously, eight and foul trouble was a factor. Booker didn't even play that much or that well. He had a ton of shots just rim out. Or are you kind of pessimistic because the Bucks have been so good at home and they just throttled the, the Suns? No, I think you have to be optimistic. I mean, Suns are still up in the series. Doesn't take away the fact that the Suns themselves had two double-digit wins. And the... The, the the fixes in terms of like, well, how do you stop Giannis or, you know, how do you this this Bucks ball movement that we saw tonight with 28 assists? You don't, you know, overlook that. But I do think that the the factors that led to this loss are pretty clear, some of which you outlined. But I think the other big one to me that should be able you'd be able to feel pretty confident will we'll flip is that Devin Booker played pretty terribly. And that's not something he does very often. Um, 10 and 10 points, just three of 14 from the field and just two assists. It's uncharacteristic to say the least, right? So he's not going to be that bad again. And I don't really know how to explain his 29 minutes, even when Monty gave it a go in the fourth quarter, trying to see if the Suns could make something of the game, despite the 20 point deficit. Booker was suspiciously not out there. It was the same at the end of game two. Once the score got out of reach, Booker got pulled. I don't know if that's fatigue. I don't know if that's an injury that he's quietly nursing that we haven't heard about, but if he is, is hampered or anything, you know, maybe you don't feel so optimistic, but until we, we see or, or know that for sure, you have to assume he's going to be better than three of 14 in a game four. I was wondering about that as well with Booker in the fourth when they brought in CP3 and Aiton to start the fourth. But, you know, Booker was even in at the close of the third in those lineups we were just kind of questioning. And then yeah. in the fourth, he was out. I was really surprised by that. The thing about him improving for game four to me is a lot of his looks were pretty good. 
and just, you know, some of them were kind of unfathomable physics just rolled out or weren't there. And he got up five free throws, which was still the most on the sun. So I thought he actually like, you know, process wise played okay, but the actual finishing of, you know, the possession scoring the basket, he just couldn't quite do it. So, uh-huh. you know, a similar game plan, I think would help him a lot. The other thing for me that the Suns, you know, maybe this isn't low hanging fruit, but something they need to do better on is they played him dead even with Giannis on the bench. And I, that can't happen if you're going to try to beat the Bucks, especially because, you know, he's had 40 points two games in a row. So they have to do better when Giannis is out of the game. Yeah, that's been the story through the first two, right? Was that Giannis minutes were either positive or, or neutral and the somehow yet the Suns were able to win by double digits because they just completely smashed the Bucks when Giannis left the floor. And in game one, that was for several minutes because Giannis didn't play much. In game two, it was even fewer and they still were able to do it. In this game, Giannis plays 38 and they, like you said, um, don't get the job done. And so I think part of that is, you know, the thinness of the Suns bench. And it's not to make an excuse, but Torrey Craig gave it a go and he clearly did not have the same level of impact. I am not a you know, psychoanalyst or I guess physical analyst would be the right, the right way to put it. So I don't know if it's because of that right knee contusion, but it certainly didn't look like the, the normal Tory Craig impact that we're used to seeing no rebounds. He's a great offensive rebounder. He didn't make any of his threes. So they're kind of running out of bodies and you only have seven guys that you trust. It's hard to win any, any bench minutes because there just aren't many guys to fill those lineups. Um, and then to point to, to your thing on Booker, I think the process was was obviously sound and it's not, you know, game four of the finals is not the time to question a player who's been incredible all year. I think you're right. He's going to make the shots that he took. I do think he he can sometimes rely a little bit on the pull-up three to get himself into rhythm, to sort of be like a change of pace for the defense to have to keep track of. I think he, you know, for my taste, took a few too many of those and a few too, too few of you know, the, the mid range, the driving that that's going to get you probably into rhythm a little more, allow you to get to the foul line and all that, that said, you know, PJ Tucker had a better night on him than he had had in the past. And Chris Middleton was excellent as usual on the defensive end. Yeah. And my, my incredibly deep and well thought out notes after the third quarter just says so far sun's bench bad. And Torrey Craig was certainly a part of that. Cam Johnson was the only guy making those notes look stupid. His third quarter was ridiculous. Probably dunk. Yeah, the play of the final so far with that dunk. I mean, that was just unbelievable. He had seven points in about a minute to get the game within six before. Of all people, Drew Holiday kind of turned the game away. Brendan, we'll have more on Lockdown Suns breaking down this whole game, where the Suns go from here, adjustments, I'm sure. So everybody go check that out. Brendan, thanks for the time. Thank you. You've heard from now our local experts on the finals, but let's switch to pivoting to talk about the Orlando Magic and their new hire at head coach. But first, I want to take a short little break, talk about the great folks over at betonline.ag who have the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season in full swing as the All-Star break is coming up. You can track all the baseball action plus NBA Finals, uh, UFC, MMA, all on betonline.ag plus NBA Draft. You can bet on who you think will be the first overall pick. They have a few lines up there. So before the next game tips, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their deep runs through the finals, through the season in baseball. Head over to that website. Sign up today. You can receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON when you create your account. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. We're now joined by the host of Locked On Magic, Philip Rossman-Reich, to cover the Orlando Magic's hiring of Jamal Mosley to be the 15th 
head coach of the franchise. Mosley started with the Nuggets and under George Carl, who had some nice things to say about him on Twitter. Philip, what were your initial thoughts on the hire when it was announced yesterday? Uh, first, it's just just relief that it's finally done. Because, I mean, obviously, whenever you're without a coach and especially kind of in a rebuild like the Magic are in, you, you, you want to just get that that voice down pat. And you want you want that guy who's going to kind of be the, the guide and the leader for this kind of new era. And obviously the magic are kind of restarting. They've got an incredibly young roster. And, you know, the more I've learned about Mosley, the more I've come to really believe that he really is a, a good fit. Um, he's a guy that has worked with young teams. He was with those Cleveland Cavaliers teams uh, shortly after LeBron left. Um, and, and he, he's, uh, he's always been someone that just relates really, really well to players. And, and I think it, it was clear the magic were looking for someone like that, like that. Uh, I think that's why Penny Hardaway's name got thrown around a little bit. Uh, they wanted someone that's going to be able to kind of hold players accountable, but still, you know, kind of be on their side. And, 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 and they, they, they're hoping that I think that players will play a little bit harder for someone, someone like that. So, you know, Mosley's obviously he's got tons of great experience with tons of great coaches already. Uh, it, it feels like this is a, this is a good fit for a young developing team. Yeah, Mosley, former pro player overseas, and he started in his NBA coaching career as a player development guy with Denver. Now he's with the USA Select team, so that's a bunch of young guys. Uh, the reporting all suggested that he was really tight with Luca in Dallas, and even in the Magic's press release that I was just reading, uh, Jeff Wellman cited the uh, that Jamal is a good communicator with other players. So how much do you think his player development and communication skills played a part in this hiring, especially for a young team like the Magic? Uh, I think that was everything. I mean, I, I think that was exactly what they were looking for. I mean, uh, no one, no one's going to sit here and say that the Magic are due to make a play, make a, a run for the playoffs next year. I mean, there's going to be some difficult years. And I think that really limited the, the pool of coaches that they could go after. I mean, there was some initial reporting that they might go after someone like Terry Stotts. And, you know, I even had some Magic fans say, why aren't they going after this more established name? You know, maybe even like a Jason kid uh and i kept saying like guys like that's that this team whoever's coming to this team is gonna have to absorb some losses uh this is this is a team that still is at the very very beginnings of a rebuild and they've got some talent but they're still missing that kind of central star and you know hopefully the, ma the magic i think are hoping that that guy's either already on the roster and hasn't been given the chance to to kind of break out or um, they're going to be drafting that guy with the fifth or eighth picks in, in the upcoming NBA draft. So uh, I really think that the player development part, the communication part, I think that was that was something that was very, very clear. It's actually something that, you know, Steve Clifford, the Magic's former coach, got a lot of credit for. And everyone believed that he was a, a fantastic communicator and a fantastic teacher and was great for player development. He just wasn't willing to absorb kind of the losses and kind of go through the, the difficulties of the early stages of a rebuild. The hope, I think, with Mosley is there is at any beginning stage of the rebuild that Mosley will be able to kind of shepherd this team through those growing pains early on and then eventually grow into becoming a team coach that can help lead them to victories uh, down the road. Huge NBA draft coming up for the Magic in just a few weeks with the fifth and eighth pick. They just started a rebuild. Now they hire this coach that has a great player development track record, at least publicly. Do you feel like this impacts the, the Magic's draft strategy at all? You know, maybe they, to me at least, maybe this signals that they would be willing to take on more projecty players with a long-term focus. But, you know, just going forward for the Magic, where do you feel like this changes their strategy? Yeah, I don't know if this necessarily changes their strategy. I mean, I think the other part of this part of this is, you know, Mosley's a defensive-minded coach. I mean, I think there's there's that NBCA video that came out a few years ago where Mosley talks about his coaching philosophy, and he very much believes that the backbone of any good team is defense. And the Magic, you know, certainly not a great offensive team, and they haven't been since Dwight Howard left in 2012. Um, but defense has been their way, has been kind of their way. And if you look at their roster, it's kind of built to be a good defensive team with Jonathan Isaac, with Wendell Carter, 
with uh, with Chuma Okiki, you know, guys that are still young, you still got a lot to learn, um, but are already have decent reputations as defenders. So I, I think that that Mosley hiring him fits a lot of things that the Magic are already doing. And so I don't think I don't see their draft strategy changing very much because Mosley uh, is in place. Um, they're just hoping that Mosley will get the most of whoever they end up picking uh, with those two picks in the draft. Yeah, and you brought up the defensive stuff, and that was Clifford's specialty as a head coach was that side of side of the ball. So how confident are you that going from one defensive coach to the another, that his strategies and principles can be different enough to make him the right X's and O's guy for this Orlando job? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, I've been doing some reading up on Mosley and 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 Fred Katz, you know, who uh, Fred Katz of The Athletic um, was did some really good work, did some really good work kind of digging into what uh, colleagues of these coaches say say about uh, candidates for the Washington Wizards, which Jamal Mosley was was up for the Wizards job as well. Um, and and the, the person he interviewed about Mosley noted that, you know, Yes, Mosley's defenses in Dallas weren't great. They, and when he was defensive coordinator the last three years, they were 18th, 18th, and 21st in the league in defensive rating. But the the the, the person that was quoted in, in, in Katz's article said, you know, the one thing about Mosley is he wants his guys playing with high energy. He, he wants them to apply some some ball pressure. And even if they're going to give up a few give up a few points, he he kind of they kind of want that to be be the the basis of it, this kind of high energy play. Um, you know, I, I think what's going to be interesting to watch is Steve Clifford's defensive strategy was very more, was a lot more conservative. Um, you know, it kind of comes from that Pat Riley tree of protect the paint more than anything else. And, and the Magic were obviously very good at, good at that. And they had kind of personnel that fit that with Nikola Vucevic. But now you bring in kind of a more high energy coach in Mosley. You've got Wendell Carter, who's able to guard out on the perimeter a little bit more, certainly more than Vucevic could. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Magic looked to up the pressure. I know that's something Magic fans have been calling for for a very, very long time to try and increase the pace a little bit, play with a little bit more chaos so you can get out in transition. That might be the, the Magic might start looking more like what people think a young team should look like, getting after guys, kind of playing with boundless energy and getting out in transition to score easy baskets. Um, I think it's really interesting what Mosley said in the past that he believes you can put players in the right spots offensively to score, but defense is really, again, the backbone of what you're going to do. And so I don't think that's going to change very much for the Magic. The way they play defense, though, might change a little bit. Tomorrow, Wes Goldberg and David Ramil will host Locked on NBA. If you want more information on this Mosley hire, Philip will break this all down over on the Locked on Magic podcast. Philip, thank you so much for the time. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And we've been Locked on NBA today. Thank you guys for listening.